Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we do give praise to your name this morning, rejoicing as the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ. Lord, we desire to acknowledge and to worship you, to give you praise that is acceptable in your sight. So I pray that you would help us to do that this morning. We thank you for the book of Daniel, written so long ago, but yet still pertinent to the way we live our lives. So I pray that you would use your word to uh, give us the truth by your spirit, illumine our minds, and help us to understand uh, the words that we see that were written so long ago. Father, may all glory and honor and praise be given to your name this morning. We rejoice in the name of Christ. Amen. So this is week number three in our study of the book of Daniel. In the last two weeks, we've been going through um, a background, getting the, the time of the book, the author of the book, the major themes of the book, um, the historical setting of the book. You know, this costs twice as much. <laughs> so... <laughs> so um, hopefully we've got some, some sound background now. Um, you remember that where we start, obviously, is at the beginning, but the first six chapters of Daniel are written in the third person. So Daniel writing quite a bit later than these events actually takes place, um, writes as an outsider using, you know, calling himself Daniel instead of actually... Um, saying I or writing in the first person. So that's what we'll begin to look at this morning. And in these first six chapters, um, if that's the way we can divide the book, there are several visions and dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar has two dreams. Um, and then his son, Belshazzar, has a vision of a hand writing on the wall. and. I think we'll find the interpretations of those to be significant and interesting. Um, fortunately, for all three of those, Daniel gives us a detailed interpretation of why they happened and what they mean. And so those will, will come straightforwardly, but there's a lot within those um, that we'll try and walk through and unpack. So this morning, we'll just begin at the very beginning. and. This is a narrative passage, okay? Usually we're over in didactic passages and we're trying to break down individual verses and that type of thing, but this is a narrative passage, so we'll cover it at a pace a little more rapidly than we're used to. Um, you know, as we went through uh, Ezekiel, um, that was especially the last, um, 10 chapters or so were just narrative, just descriptive. And so we, we went through those, but not at the pace that we did when we were looking at like when the kingdom was established. So that'll be kind of how this is. This morning, I'll read what we're gonna try and get through, which is the first 16 verses. So let me just begin in Daniel 1.1 and read at least part of this passage, and then we'll look at what's going on. I think this will be familiar to you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of, the Ju of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So here we have the introduction to the book of Daniel. Daniel writing, but writing about a time that is at least 70 years, maybe longer, um, when he actually sits down to pen these words. So he's remembering like a 85-year-old what happened to him back when he was 15, 16, 17 years old. So um, that's the... That's the author, that's the way that he's writing. And we've walked through this third year of Jehoiakim uh, a couple of times, but it's always good to understand because we'll see in the middle of the passage we're going to try and cover today that where Daniel comes in the history of the kingdom of Judah is significant because it influences some of the things that he says in this passage. Um, and, and we'll ask some questions and try and answer those as we get to that. But we've looked at this previously. We looked in 2 Kings when we were looking at all the kings and who came after who and what was going on when Nebuchadnezzar first came in. But today I want to look at 2 Chronicles. And if you've ever studied First and 2 Kings and First and 2 Chronicles, you know they parallel one another and that they refer to each other um, so that you can get all the details. You gotta read all the books in order to get everything. So we did Second Kings previously. So today I wanna go um, to Second Chronicles and read a little bit there. The chapter 35 of Second Chronicles ends with Necho, the king of Egypt, coming and killing King Josiah, the king of Judah and Jerusalem. So um, if, if you read it in 2 Kings, it kind of looks like they just went out into a field and Necho killed him. If you read it in 2 Chronicles, you'll see there actually was an attack and a war. And Josiah winds up getting shot with arrows and dying. 
And so they, they bury him, and his son um, becomes king after him. And Nico, King Nico of Egypt, deposes him immediately. His name is Jehoaz. And he gets deposed, and so Nico sets his brother up as king. And of course, because Nico made him king over his brother, he is then um, subservient to the king of Egypt. He actually becomes a vassal king and pays taxes and those types of things to the to king of Egypt. And so let's look at that a little bit. Second Chronicles chapter 36. And I just want to look at the first five verses, just so we get the setting, because it is important to Daniel of where he was born and how he was raised because it influences some of the things that happen in his life that we see in this passage this morning. So 2 Chronicles chapter 36, very similar to the end of 2 Kings that we've already looked at. So beginning in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 36, then the people of the land took Jehoahaz the son of Josiah, and made him king in place of his father in Jerusalem. And that's because his father had been killed in the field. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Then the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem and imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Then the king of Egypt made Eliakim, his brother, meaning the brother of uh, Jehoahaz, made Eliakim, his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and brought him to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. So you, you've got some things happening here that um, Chronicles summarizes, but we saw the details when we were over in Second Kings. So jo Josiah is killed, Jehoahaz becomes the king by order of the people. King Necho of Egypt doesn't like that. He deposes him and sets up Jehoiakim as his vassal king. And Jehoiakim reigns for 11 years. Now, if you look at what how Daniel starts, Daniel says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, so Jehoiakim has only been king three years when, Nebuch when that verse about Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and really overruns Judah. They become subservient no longer to the king of Egypt, but to Nebuchadnezzar. That's in 605 BC. So Jehoiakim becomes king in 608. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And that is the, the first deportation when some of the royalty, some of the nobles, especially the young um, teenagers of those guys, get deported to Babylon. 
and Daniel is one of those. So Daniel lived mainly under the reign of Josiah and then for three years under Jehoiakim. You'll see that becomes important later on as we go through this passage. So that's the way that the time frame is set. So as early, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes against Jerusalem three times. The first is in 605 that we see here. The second is in, is in 597, and he deports Jehoiakim, this king, and uh, actually his son. He, Nebuchadnezzar's coming because Jehoiakim is not no longer being obedient to Babylon. Before Nebuchadnezzar can get there, he dies. And his son Jehoiachin is installed as king at eight years old. He reigns three years and ten, month, ten days, and Nebuchadnezzar arises, and here's this eight-year-old. So he takes him and deports him along with um, so, um, 10,000 people and all the treasury of the house of God. Here that we read um, in that first raid in 605, he only takes some of the treasury. In 597, he takes it all and goes to, uh, sets up a new king um, in Jerusalem and goes back and takes Ezekiel and 10,000 other people with him back to Babylon. That's the second raid. And then, of course, the third one is when he comes in something like uh, 598 and besieges Jerusalem because, again, they're not being obedient. And that's when Jerusalem is destroyed, ultimately in 586, when they tear down all the walls, they kill all the people, um, they leave it in desolation. And that's, if you read the book of Lamentations that... um, Jeremiah wrote, you'll see how desperate Jerusalem was after Nebuchadnezzar buried them. It says that the fathers are eating their sons. So actually cannibalism because they were starving to death in Jerusalem. It's a horrid description of Jerusalem that um, is written in the book of Lamentations. I'll lead that to your own reading. So that's the setting uh, when D- that Daniel is remembering when he got taken early in the sieges of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, as we look at this, you know, okay, these guys are 15, 16, 17 years old, something like that, the same, about the same age that um, Ezekiel is, but Ezekiel remains for another eight years while they're taken off into captivity. And you think about captivity, that would be terrible, But actually, these guys are treated very well. I mean, they're being trained for the king's court. They're given the best food in the land. They're given the best wine in the land to drink. They're educated um, in the literatures and in the language of the Chaldeans. So all the the good stuff is coming their way. And, um, you know, you think about it, uh, a 15, 16-year-old, and all of a sudden he's treated like, royalty and he's given all the good things in life and he's being trained for the king's court um, that would not be such a bad thing and what they're trying to do i believe here is take the young who have not yet established um, themselves as you know leaders or family men and that kind and they're basically brainwashing them 
into the way of the Chaldeans. And so they'll be obedient to Nebuchadnezzar because he's treated them so well and serve in his court well um, and want to serve because their lives are very good. And so that's what's going on here that we see in these opening verses. Um, now, Daniel gives us a little bit more about what actually happened when he was taken into captivity. And you see that in verses 2 and 3 of the passage. Uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, at eight years old, is taken into, well, Jehoiakim um, is not eight years old. He's 36 when that happens. Um, later, his son is the one who's only eight years old. Um, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. So he doesn't take them all. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. And we don't know if Daniel was one of the royalties or if he's one of the nobles or he's just a good-looking uh, young man because that's one of the criteria, right? He's got to be good look He's got to be handsome, and he's got to be well-spoken. And so we know he's those things, but we don't know if he's part of the nobility or not. Now, so Daniel... Um, gives us that introduction. The year is um, 605, and these things begin to happen. Now, the land of Shinar, interesting in biblical history, if you look at it, is the land where the Tower of Babel was built. So <laughs> that's what it's famous for in, in the scripture. So this has been a land of um, a central area of biblical focus since the very beginning. Um, so that's where the Tower of Babel was built. It's more of a region than a city. It's not a city, it's a region that has multiple cities within it. It's in the Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, uh, to the south side of that. So the most fertile land um, that's known to men at this time. Um, it's in the land that we today call um, Iraq. And so both the Tigris and the Euphrates and that fertile land in between them is in Iraq today. It's probably not the way you think about Iraq, but that's true. And they flow down to, uh, and they join together just before they get to the Persian Gulf. And then they empty into the Persian Gulf. And where they join together and empty into the Persian Gulf it forms the boundary between Iraq and Iran today. So that's the geography that we're talking about, a land that is prominent in the news today, has been for the last really 15 years. Um, so um, this is what, you know, the, is where the biblical history centers, is in this area and in Jerusalem. Um, those are the two most prominent areas. And you can remember when we were in Ezekiel that he called Jerusalem the navel of the world. 
So, because it is the center, always has been, and I believe always will be. So as we get into Daniel, you'll, you'll see that persuasion that, um, about the Middle East that I think is significant. We'll get to much of that later. So that's where Shinar is, that's where Daniel is. He's in really the best land that is known to men. He's in between the Tigris and Euphrates, and he's being treated like royalty, and he's given all the best food, or he's offered all the best food and wine in the land, and he's being educated. So um, that's why Daniel becomes a leader, because of this excellent education. And we'll see what happens in that education as we get down below in verse 8 and later. Now, so when, when the guys in 605 were taken, they were hand-selected. So they were the best of the best that Israel had to offer. And because their intention was to train them to be in the king's court. And you don't just pick anybody for that role. So you, they picked the best of the best, and Daniel was one of those. You kind of wonder about Ezekiel, right? He didn't make the grade when Daniel was taken. Yeah, maybe he was not quite as handsome, or he wasn't quite as well-spoken. Don't know, but he wasn't selected. He didn't go until eight years later. Um, so um, he didn't make the grade when, when Daniel was taken. And the, like I said, these guys are treated um, very well. They're probably not homesick because they're with their friends and they're being treated very, very well. And they're learning and they're learning languages and literature and being trained, they know to serve under, in the king's court. So they're gonna have a pretty good life. So they're probably not wishing they could go back um, to Jerusalem, which was a mess. Evil kings and bad things happening, being attacked by people, um, I mean, it was not a good time back in Israel. So um, then in verses 6 and 7, we're introduced finally to Daniel and his three compa companions. And we know them better by their, well, not Daniel, but the other three, we know them by their uh, new names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't so much know them by their old names, although even though Daniel is called Belteshazzar, um, we don't know him by that name. And he doesn't use that name in writing this book. And interesting, Daniel is called Belteshazzar. The son of Nebuchadnezzar is called Belshazzar. So easy to get things confused when you start talking about all these names. Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, um, you got to keep them straight. Otherwise, you get very confused as you read all of this. So we're introduced to these three good-looking young men, and Daniel begins to tell us more about this time um, which he's in Babylon. So looking at verse 8, he wrote, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. 
And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he look at your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearances be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the, so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Okay, so here's Daniel and all of a sudden he's offered all these good foods and these wines, and he, it, the scripture says, he determined in his mind not to defile himself. So you go, okay, what about this is defiling for him to eat this food and to drink this wine? Well, there's at least two reasons. The first is that this is probably some food that is against the guidelines given in the law that God gave to the Israelites. Probably some of the food is against that law. Okay, and then the second reason would be that it's the king's food. So this food has probably been sacrificed to idols and then brought to the king to be eaten. And so in that regard, if you're eating food that has been sacrificed to idols, you're giving acknowledgement to those idols. That's the reason the king would eat this food, is because he's, um, he's worshiping the idols. And that, of course, for an Israelite, would be putting an idol before God and would again be defiling to his person. So Daniel says, I... I'd, I'm not going to do this. And he feels strong enough about it that he goes to the commander and asks him that I don't want to defile myself. And so you have to believe that he explained a little bit of what that defilement would be to the commander. And so the commander, not so worried about Daniel, is worried about himself, right? Because his answer that he gives is self-centered. And if you look at it carefully, he doesn't tell Daniel no. He doesn't say, no, I can't do that. You're going to have to eat this food. That's not there. He says, I'm worried about doing this because you'll look bad. And if you look bad and sickly because you're not eating these choice foods, then the king will have my head. He'll kill me because I failed in doing what he's commanded me to do and you show the results of my disobedience. 
So that's what he answers him. He doesn't say, nope, sorry, you got to eat this food. He says, I hear you, I acknowledge you, and, and the scripture actually says God directly intervened in this. In verse 9, it says, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. So the official understands, and he's compassionate toward Daniel, and he doesn't tell him no, but he says, I'm worried about this. And that's kind of where it's left. Now, my question is this. We've talked about how evil the kings in Judah were, and mainly they were evil. And they did evil in the sight of God. And you can remember, um, I think we talked about that, that you had um, Manasseh, who was a king, that came before Josiah. And God ultimately allows or calls for Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem because of the sins of Manasseh, that he was so evil in the sight of God that he says, I will not forgive. And he doesn't. He exacts his punishment on Jerusalem because of the sins of a king several generations before the destruction happens. And you can remember Hezekiah, who was kind of a good king, but showed Babylon all his tre treasures. Remember that when we looked at that over in 2 Kings? And because of that, Isaiah then comes and tells Hezekiah, Nebuchadnezzar, um, Babylon is going to take all your treasures. And it doesn't happen for generations, but ultimately it does happen. So these kings are not so good. So my question is, if that's true, and that's where Daniel was raised, how is it that Daniel even knows that these things are against the orders of God? And why is he willing to risk so much for something that he doesn't really hold to? And the answer to that because, I mean, he's going out on a big limb here. I mean, he can lose his life for refusing to eat this food. But he determines in his mind that he's not going to defile himself. Why is this so important to Daniel when he was raised in such an evil time? And the answer becomes that Daniel was born and lived his first probably 12 or 13 years, maybe 14 years, during the reign of Josiah. Josiah was king, and Josiah was a good king. Josiah reformed the nation uh, to a, a great degree. Um, he, during the time of Josiah, the high priest found the book of the law. Now, you go, where did he find it? He found it in the temple of God. Well, why didn't all the high priests before him find it? Because they didn't care about it. But this high priest found it, took it to Josiah, who began to read it and institute reform in Israel to conform to the book of the law. 
and, and great reforms, so much so, I want you to read this passage down in 2 Kings to see what the scriptures say about this King Josiah. And it's a little astounding. 2 Kings 23. I mean, I actually, this is, you know, one of the joys I have as I discover and I look and I research things. I, I did not remember this passage. But look in 2 Kings 23, down in verse 21. And look at what the scripture says here. Then the king, and this is Josiah, who is the king. He was king for, get this right, 31 years. Okay? Um, from 640 to 609. And remember, Daniel was taken into captivity in 605. In the third year of Jehoiakim, and okay, there's a year off there, right? Because it's 609 to 605, that's four years. And why is that? Because they don't count the first year. When you're giving, and you'll see this all the way through Daniel, and we'll have to talk about it several times. When you talk about the third year of the king, the first year doesn't get counted. So the third year is actually the fourth year of the king. I don't know why, but that's just the way they count. They counted that way. The Egyptians counted that way. The Babylonians counted that way. Everybody counted that way. The first year doesn't count. So maybe it's because... You know, it's kind of like birthdays. You don't count, you do count the months, but you're one when you're one, right? And then you, for that whole year, you're one. And so that's what they're saying. They don't count the first year, but you're one in the second year, right? And then you're two in the third year. That's the way it works. So that's the same way that they count kings. The first year doesn't count, and then they're one. So in the fourth year, in the third year is really the fourth year, and so the 605 matches up with the 609 when Josiah was killed. Nevertheless, let's read about Josiah. Okay, in 2321, then the king commanded all the people saying, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges. Now we're talking about the judges after Joshua. Since the day of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of, the, of King Josiah, the Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might confirm the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Now, this is saying that Josiah was greater than King David. 
Certainly better than Saul, better than King David, better than Solomon, better than all the kings down to him, better than all the kings ever in Israel and Judah. Now that's quite a statement. And you see that the Passover had not been observed to the detail that Josiah did since the judges all the way back to the time of Joshua. That's a long time that none of those kings, including King David, observed the Passover to the details that Josiah did ever. So this is Josiah. This is the time when Daniel is born. Daniel is born during this great time after this 18th year because he reigned 31 years and Daniel is maybe 13, 14, 12 when he dies. So Daniel is born right after the Passover begins and the land has great reform. So as Daniel is born and raised, he's raised under the book of Moses, under the book of the law. He understands it. He's taught it. Certainly you would teach your children that if you were observing it. <clears throat> he knows the sacrifices. He knows all of that because Josiah instilled all of that. So this is Daniel's upbringing. And you can just imagine that when Jehoiakim became king, that he had to have a very difficult time with that. Having been raised, born and raised, during a very good time when King Josiah was reigning, Josiah gets killed, Jehoiakim becomes the king and does evil in the sight of God. And Daniel is there for maybe three, four years at, at the most. And then he's taken off to Babylon. So he remembers all these things that he was taught as he was being, you know, coming into teenage years. And so that's how jo Daniel even knows about these things. If he had been born in a different time, he would have had no idea that eating this king's food would defile him because he wouldn't have been taught that. Because all these other evil, if he had been born under the time of Jehoiakim, forget it. Because Jehoiakim reversed everything that Josiah did and did evil in the sight of God. The king before that, Manasseh, is why Nebuchadnezzar actually comes and destroys them. So if he had been born in the time of Manasseh, no way. So you see the providence of God in the life of Daniel and why Daniel here at 15, 16 years old says, I'm not going to defile myself. I know that eating this is against the book of Moses. It's against the law of God. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah, for, for hundreds of years. Supreme exaltation of a sovereign God who reaches in the lives of undeserving people and mushes them into places they don't deserve, right? Which is precisely that picture. So to remove the Passover is to remove the God of the Passover. Absolutely. Self guided. Self guided, exactly. Right, instead of guided by the Word of God. The 
Yeah, and it, it is, and you know, I mean, you, you think about, I mean, this passage is a little startling to me. That you think about King David, who was a man after God's own heart, and yet it says Josiah was greater than King David in his observance of the law. That, really? That yeah. And Solomon. <laughs> and Solomon. The wisest. Yeah. I would just assume kill myself because it is nothing but vanity, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, and, and Josiah is better than all of them. Like, really? And if you have a false religion like that, I can imagine, I, I know from my own history, the, the, the attempt to the details of Scripture becomes so much more important because you have been deceived by men twisting the Scriptures, twisting the Absolutely, and and you know these other guys who are with Daniel have the same upbringing. All of them not so as determined as Daniel is, because they eat the food and drink the wine, but not Daniel. Daniel says, "I cannot defile myself." Sure. That existed in it. So God was always preserving his people Israel. And if we want to learn <laughs> preservation of life and stewardship of this body, we can learn a lot from what God taught those people. And and Solomon literally says in Proverbs twenty three, when I when you sit down to eat with a ruler, so that that may come to Daniel's mind. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your if you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Right, and, and that's Daniel. That's what, that's what Daniel, you know, and, and the argument here is not for vegetarian. Okay, I understand a lot of people go here, but and that's okay. I'm, all, I'm good with that. I love vegetables. But you can also remember that um, when we were looking at the millennial kingdom, that they're eating the bulls and the rams and all. I mean, they're eating that stuff, right? Remember the kitchens and the corners of the temple so that the people could have something to eat? And you look at the priests and they're eating it also. So it, it's, it's not prescribed in the book of Moses that you can only eat vegetables. But Daniel asked for that because there's no other good meat that hasn't been sacrificed to idols available. And so that in itself would defile him. So he says, just give me the vegetables because they haven't sacrificed those to gods. Well, Daniel had to be incredibly sensitized to it because even in the renaming yeah. of the three, every name that they were given were names that would direct them from their God-given name that points you to God to a pagan name that points you to paganism. Right. Well, and you think about it. Why did they give them a new name? Why did they give them a new language? Why did they teach them different learnings than they had already learned? They're brainwashing them. 
right. I mean, you forget about him. And most of these guys do, but not Daniel. So that's why Daniel is so determined. He was raised in a good time. He was raised under the reign of Josiah when he saw his king worshiping properly better than any king ever in Israel, the one true God. And so that's Daniel. That's his birth. That's his raising. So he understands these things. Providence of God that he was born after Josiah started the Passover and raised with that teaching and that learning and that observance. Yeah, I mean, most of Israel is done at, at this point, right? Okay, so we, we at least answered those questions of why he thinks he's going to defile him. How does he know he's going to defile himself? And he says uh, his request is not to not eat the food. His request is to not defile himself. But it's the eating of the food that would have defiled him. Okay, but you have to understand what he's asking He's not going to the commander and saying, please give me something else to eat. He's going to the commander and saying, please don't make me defile myself. Different thing. And the commander has compassion because God put it within him to have compassion. So you move on to verse 10. Are we going to finish this? I want to. We're not. Okay, oh, the only thing I want to say about verse 10, and then we'll pick up in verse 11 next week is that the commander-in-chief does not tell him that we can't allow you to not eat the food because in the next verse in verse 11 it's no longer the commander-in-chief who's in view it's the guy the overseer so it's like this you have the king and then the commander-in-chief then the overseer then Daniel so Daniel can't get it at that high level so he tries to go to the low level now he's not being deceptive because the guy didn't tell him no he said I'm worried about my head being cut off if we do this so he goes to the guy who's directly above him and tries again okay so that's where we'll pick up next week thanks for your time